following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Verses 1 through 6 of Romans chapter 7. Now, dear brothers and sisters... You who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies... She is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. Likewise, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our own nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Uh, If, uh, if, if you've missed the summer or uh, are new, let me just recap a little bit about what I really feel the book of Romans is about. Because to really understand this important passage on doing away with rules, you really need to get the bigger picture of what's going on in the book of Romans, or you could easily misapply these words. Um, Paul starts the, the book of Romans in chapter 1 with these words. He says, I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news, to preach the gospel. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. And that really is the theme of the book of of Romans. Uh, He wants to explain, he wants to preach the gospel. right? But what's interesting in those verses is that he is writing to the church in Rome, to believers, and he says to these Christian people, he says, I am eager to come preach the gospel to you. And so some of us, that might seem kind of strange. Well, why do you preach the gospel to people who are already saved? And oftentimes we have the idea that the gospel is what we tell unsaved people so they become Christians. But once you come to Christ, uh, you move on from there to bigger and greater things, right? So the, the cross becomes the doorway, kind of pilgrim's progress. You go to the cross, you drop your sin, and then you go on the rest of your journey to the celestial city and you leave the cross behind. But I would argue that That the book of Romans is about explaining that the gospel, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, is important and crucial absolutely for entry into eternal life, into relationship with Christ in salvation. But it also is incredibly important for our daily walk with Christ, that we never get very far from the cross. And if we do, we're in trouble. We need the work of the cross daily in our life, not only for salvation, for justification being made right with God, but also for sanctification, for growing into the likeness of Christ. 
And Paul really unfolds this whole thing in the book of Romans. First five chapters, he talks about being made right with God through the work of Christ dying for us on the cross. But then in chapter 6, he switches and he starts talking about our battle against sin. Not as unbelievers, but as believers. And he says, as, as followers of Christ, we're no longer to be dominated and controlled by sin. We are to be set free from that. And we're to live a different kind of life. And he um, kind of sums that up uh, in, at the end of chapter 6, uh, where he talks about being sanctified... He says, you are no longer, um, in verse 19, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led to ever deeper sin. But now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteousness so that you will become holy or sanctified. This work of sanctification really means being made holy so that we would be vessels, would be temples, as a fit place for God to dwell. Uh, and we can't do that if our life is dominated and plagued by sin. Right? We need to be set free from that. Uh, and he's not teaching that we, we reach some kind of sinless perfection, that we reach absolutely, absolute perfection where we never sin. But he says, you know, your life should be moving away from sin. You should regularly becoming uh, more and more holy, more and more like Christ. Uh, and he talked about that in chapter 6. We looked last week, uh, that uh, last couple of weeks really, that he's broken the power of sin over us. Before Christ, we were mastered by sin, and, and we could not help but sin because it lorded it over us. But when we died with Christ, uh, that power was broke. Now he switches his target a little bit, and he's actually building off of uh, something he said in verse 14 of chapter 6. In passing, he says this, he says, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. For you uh, are free uh, to live under God's grace. Right? And he kind of goes on from there and goes back to his argument, but then he picks it up again in verse 1 of chapter 7. He says, you are free. You are no longer under the requirements of the law. We're done with rules. Amen? Oh, uh, that was pathetic. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we'll come back to that. Um, so, so what does he mean by that? You are no longer under the requirements of the law. Right? You are no longer obligated or bound by law. Uh, well, he, the, the phrase begins, and actually uh, a lot of translations skip the word, but the very first word in that sentence of verse 1 is the word or, or do you not know? Right? And he's, he's continuing on what he really started back in verse 14. He says, you're no longer under law. He gives this argument. He says, or don't you know that uh, the law has no effect where a person has died? Right? Uh, so what does it mean, first of all, to be under the law? To really understand this passage, we have to get that perspective. What does Paul mean when he talks about being under law? Um, in fact, he uses the word, another, it's not always translated, but the word literally is to be, he says, the, the law is no longer lord over you, no longer master. So what does it mean for the law to be lord over us? Um, well, we are by nature... People, believe it or not, even though we talk about growing up in the 60s and not being about rules, the truth is 
Human nature loves rules, right? Uh, in fact, you go back to the very first couple, Adam and Eve in the garden. How many commands did God give Adam and Eve? One. One. Do not eat the fruit, right? Uh, skip over to chapter 3. Serpent comes along, and Eve and the serpent are having this little, little dialogue, a little theological discussion. And, uh, you know, the serpent asks her about this whole rule, command, don't eat, eat of the tree. You know, what did God say? And Eve says this. She says, God said, don't eat of the fruit and don't touch it. Right? I love this. Human nature. You know, she takes one command and doubles it. Okay, one's not good enough. We've got to have two. Right? And it really is our nature to make rules. Uh, we may feel like we live in a world in a society where laws are being chucked and, and disregarded, but the reality is we're constantly making new rules and laws. We are people who love rules. And the reality is there's something in us in our nature that likes to be ruled by rules. Or at the very least, we like to rule others by rules, right? Um, I got this. This is mostly from the United States. Sorry for those of you who are not. But just to show you how absurd we can be about and carried away about rules. Uh, these are some kind of just absurd, crazy rules uh, from the United States. In Tombstone, Arizona, it is illegal for citizens over the age of 18 years old to have more than one tooth missing when smiling. Okay, so if you have you know more than you know a couple of front teeth out, stay away from Arizona. You're going to jail. Uh, in Georgia, it's against the law to keep a donkey in your bathtub. All right, which I was worried about that one actually. Um, okay, in Iowa, anybody here from Iowa? Okay, Mike Christian's not here, so we can laugh about Mike Christian. Okay, because this is for his state. Uh, in Iowa. If you're a one-armed piano player, you must perform for free. <laughs> okay? Or half price. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, if you're in... Okay, this is, this is one especially significant for me because uh, the way God made me. If you're a man who resides in Omaha, Nebraska, you cannot run around the streets with a shaved chest. Right? Well, there's all kinds of absurd laws like that. And uh, the, the truth is we love rules, right? We love rules. We love making rules. We love regulating our life by rules. Uh, we, there's a part of our nature that uh, automatically puts ourselves under law, under rule, under regulation. Right? Now, ironically, we don't follow the rules very well. And we, we're... Par- far better at breaking rules than, than living under them. But the truth is, it's how we operate. Uh, and it's part of, of human nature. And the context here, uh, Paul says, you are no longer under law. And there's a lot of debate over what law he's talking about. Does he mean all law? Anywhere and everywhere? Is he talking about just moral laws within the context of a religious community? Is he talking specifically about the law of Moses? Right? And there's a lot of debate. I believe... Um, and I won't go into why I believe this, but I think very clearly that Paul's talking here about the, the law of Moses. Right? And when you understand Paul's context, Paul was a Jew, had been a Pharisee, had lived under the law, and most of his uh, battle as a Christian was with Pharisees, with the Jewish segment in both the church and, and, and in Judaism, who were convinced that the law must be followed. 
Right? That, that in fact, what Jesus did when He came, He brought salvation. He just made it possible for us to now really fulfill the law. And Paul fought this battle uh, with the, the Jewish segment of the church head on. And he said, no, we are no longer under the law of Moses. Right? So, and that was a battle that, that Paul waged and won, thankfully, that said when people come to Christ, when Gentiles come to Christ, they do not now come under the law of Moses. They are free from that. And a lot of that comes from arguments that he lays out like this one here. So it's really, Paul is thinking in his mind certainly of the, the law of, of Moses. Um, and so, it, it, and we'll talk about this as it goes a little farther, but the, the thing to realize here is we still are under some law. So when, he's, when Paul says here, we're no longer under law, he's thinking specifically of the law of Moses in the context of religious community. Right, so what this means is this. If you're you know, running around Omaha with a shaved chest, watch out. You know, or tombstone and toothless, watch out. Right? Or more, probably more relevantly, if you're speeding down the highway going 30 miles an hour over the speed limit and a policeman pulls you over, don't, don't, when he comes up and asks for your driver's license, don't say to him, oh, <laughs> don't worry about it. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. You know, I'm free. He's going, yeah, you're free, all right. You're free to go to jail, right? Uh, don't stop paying taxes. And when the tax guy shows up at your door and gives you the bill and says you owe this, don't say to him, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm, I'm not under law. I'm under grace, right? It doesn't work, all right? I spent my whole last week, numerous days at immigration with Paul. We had a great time at City Hall doing our immigration stuff, and uh and I don't think it would work there to tell those very grim-faced government officials, you know, I'm not under law. I'm not, I don't have to follow this. I'm not under law. I'm under grace, right? It doesn't work that way. Sco- students going to school, first week of school this week, don't try this one. <laughs> you know, I'm not wearing a school uniform this year. I'm not under law, <laughs> right? You get a T-shirt made, we'll get us all in trouble. Okay, all of us. Right? That's not what it means, Right? We live in a society and a world where laws rule, and we must follow those. In fact, later Paul says, yeah, yeah, you've got to follow the laws of the land. So that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking specifically about the Old Testament system of law, um, uh, spelled out by uh, the law of Moses in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah. Uh, now, to, to get the picture of what this is about, we need to understand how the Jews understood what the law did for them. All right? What was it that made the law powerful over their life? What was this thing that lorded over them called the law? Well, to get that, let me just read a couple of quick passages from the beginning of their journey in the wilderness and the end. Okay, At Mount Sinai and later at the Jordan River. Uh, where God gives them uh, His commands, where He spells out you know, the Ten Commandments and all the other 613 commands, um, what it meant. And the first one is uh, right at Mount Sinai before, God, uh, before Moses goes up on the mountain and gets the tablets with the Ten Commandments. Uh, it says this, Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how um, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And you know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me 
and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Okay, so he says this. He says, look, I'm giving you these commands. If you keep these commands and follow them, then you will be my covenant people. Right? Then in, uh, at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, after 40 years, traveling around the wilderness, picking up a lot more rules, uh, a lot of experience with God, they're about to enter the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy is the renewing of the covenant. Right? So they're going, they're reviewing all the laws again. They're spelling them out again. And again, he gives the purpose statement of it all in, in Deuteronomy 30. He says, now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, okay, key phrase there, if you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter. Okay, what's he saying there? Well, and he goes on, he talks about uh, the blesses, blessings and the cursings. Here's how the Jews understood the law and how God gave it. All right? They were to enter into a covenant relationship. They, they did enter into this covenant relationship by faith, but the covenant was maintained by law. And God gave them all these instructions, all these commands and laws and rules. And the way it worked is they, uh, if, if they followed the rules, if, because it's an if thing, if they followed the rules, then God would bless them. If they did not follow the rules, then God would curse them. Right? So what it, mean to, what it meant to live under the law is it's a system that says, uh, I gain God's blessing, I gain God's favor in my life by how I keep His commands. Right? If I keep them well, if I am diligent, if I do all the things I'm supposed to do, I will gain God's favor. Ultimately, I'll gain God's salvation, right? But aside from eternal life, eternal salvation, day by day, blessing depends on my performance. If I do well, God blesses. If I don't do well, God curses, right? And that's the system of the law. It's the system that uh, God put Israel under. Um, well, uh, it's important to understand that God gave the law, so the law in itself is good. Uh, and um, it was by it that God, if you will, uh, corralled in the people of Israel. It was the way he managed this nation from going crazy. But as we all know, it didn't, it didn't work, right? Uh, they kept the law for about, I don't know, 32 seconds. <laughs> and then they went off and did their own thing. And they worshipped idols, and they, they did everything exactly opposite what God said. Right? So it, it, in the end, didn't work. And God sent judgment after judgment, and he exiled them, and he sent plagues and famines and disasters, and he caused all kinds of problems. Uh, but the threat of curse made very little impact. Right? It just didn't work. And Paul says, here's the problem. He says there is a weak link, and the weak link is not the law, it's us. He says... For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. And they were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Right? 
So here's the problem. There's a weak link within us that we, um, that the law stirs up. Okay, I love that word. It stirs up our sinful passions. I think, and I think the, um, well, first of all, let's talk about what the flesh is. Flesh can be used in a lot of ways. It's an important word in Paul's theology. Sadly, a lot of translations translate it sin nature. And you just need to scratch that out of your Bible or get a different translation. And uh, it should and substitute that with the word flesh. Well, what is flesh? Well, flesh can mean the meat on our bones, literally our muscle. It can mean the body in general. It can mean the whole person, body, soul, mind, and spirit. I think the way Paul uses it here is he's speaking of the morally neutral parts of us. Okay, so not, not our sin nature, not the fallen part of us that's, that, that's in bondage to sin, because remember, that part died with Christ. But there still is a part of us, like Adam and Eve, that's morally neutral, but weak morally. Right? Adam and Eve didn't know how to have a sin na- nature. They hadn't fallen. They hadn't sinned yet. But there was a part of them, their flesh, that was morally weak. And it was easily led astray by sinful passions and lusts and desires. Okay, we're redeemed. Our old man is dead, Paul says in Romans 5 and 6. We have a, a new nature. We're new creatures in Christ. But we're new creatures who still carry around the flesh. There are cer- certain weaknesses within us and capacities and tendencies that can sin. Right? And that are hooked by sinful desires and lusts and passions. Right? And, and this is what Paul says. He says the law triggers those things. The law is like a torpedo that, that targets those things, right? Well, how does that work? Well, I think it stirs up sinful passions in a couple of ways. Uh, the first one is, uh, is what I would call the defiance principle. Okay, Is anybody here kind of naturally defiant? Or is anybody here lying? No. <laughs> There's one honest person. Yeah. We are all naturally defiant, okay? We're just culturally correct in our defiance, right? Uh, but the reality is, and, and here's how it gets tested. Um, there's things like the closed door principle, right? There's a closed door, and you're sitting in an empty room by yourself, and somebody says to you, whatever you do, don't open that door and look inside. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to open the door and look inside, right? The, the command stirs up a defiant attitude that you want to test it. You want to challenge that rule, right? How many of you have, have done this? You walk by a sign, and the sign says, wet paint, and underneath it says, do not touch, and what do you do? You touch. Of course you touch. Everybody touches, right? If you want somebody to touch something, just put up a sign that says, do not touch. Guaranteed, everybody will touch. Uh, we're just at a museum. You know, do not touch the glass. What does everybody do? Touches the glass, right? Uh, it is our nature to defy a rule. It's instinct for us, right? Not anything we have to learn. It just comes naturally. The law triggers that. Uh, as soon as there's a law, all of a sudden there's something in us that gets stirred up that says, I want to defy that. I want to see what happens, right? I want to challenge that law. We're all afflicted with that defiant spirit, right? And, that's, and the, law, the law triggers that. Second thing, though, and this is even more serious, uh, the law incites in us pride when we succeed. See, the most dangerous thing about the law is not when we fail to keep it. Far more dangerous is when we actually do keep it. Right? Because when we do keep it, we start thinking to ourselves, I'm a good person. I can do this. Right? Uh, and you see this throughout Scripture. 
uh, with the Pharisees. Um, you know, it's, it's just mind-boggling to me that uh, you know, the Pharisees would tithe mint and dill. Okay, remember Jesus said that. What that means is sometimes these guys you know, would, would grow little plant boxes, kind of like second graders do, little plant boxes with herbs. Because you, know, you couldn't go to Lotus and buy herbs. You had to grow them yourself. And so they would have around their house little small, not gardens, just little boxes with some of these common herbs, right? And, uh, you know, if you pick, pick five leaves off, you give half a leaf to God. Okay, now how you do that, I don't know. They would tithe mint and dill. Okay, they were fastidious. They were nitpickingly detailed about the law and kept it at extreme levels. And then they got together and they talked about how to kill Jesus, right? How do you do that, right? How do you worry about tithing mint and dill and then to get together and chat about how you're going to kill somebody in cold-blooded murder, right? Uh, obviously, the law has faults. It, it misses some things. Uh, and behind all that, behind all that, Jesus, Jesus challenged their pride, right? They felt... They were better than everybody else because they kept the law. Because they were diligent keeping the law. And at many levels, they were. In fact, Paul talked about his days as a Pharisee, and he said, as to the law, I was blameless. And Paul, from his Christian perspective, could look back and he said, when it came to keeping the law on a man level, I was blameless to the law. But what did it produce in Paul and all the others? Pride. Right? This arrogant attitude that they did not need God, they did not need God's help, and that they could be good enough in their own right and their own standing. Okay, that is the law system. And that's what the law system produces. So you got one of two scenarios. You can't keep the commandments and you fail morally by breaking the law. Or you keep the law at some level, externally, but it generates in you pride and the sense of uh, self-ability, self-glory. And in the end, what it produces is an attitude that says to God, God, you owe me. Right? You owe me. And, uh, you know, they had so twisted around the blessing and promise of God, this is how it worked. Instead of God's blessing being a free gift that they really didn't deserve, but if they kept the law, kept covenant with God, God would bless them. They turned it upside down and said, no, we have kept the law, we are good people, and God, you owe us now. We demand from you your promises, your blessing. Not because of grace, not because you are a merciful and kind God, but because I'm good. And I did this on my own, and you owe me. Right? Well, um, that's the law system. Now, uh, none of us today uh, lives under the Mosaic Law. Uh, we kind of, you know, Paul sufficiently killed this in his day so that the church has never been compelled to go back and keep all the requirements of the Old Testament law, uh, thankfully. Uh, but the truth is, we still can quite live easily put ourselves under the law system, right? Like I said, we love rules, we love laws. And it's quite easy for us to place ourselves under the system of rules. And the system is this. If I keep this list, we write our own list now, it's a different list. I keep this list of requirements that I think God has put on me. 
If I do those things, then God has to bless me. God owes me. That's the law system. Right? It's bartering with God. It's being good enough in my own ability and power that you know I'm a good Christian, I'm a good person, and God owes me. Uh, he uh, has promised, right? And so, so this is how it works. We, we have different rules. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, the rules had to do with uh, haircuts and right clothes and not going to movies and not dancing and don't drink or get tattoos, right? Uh, now we have new rules because now t- tattoos are in. You can get tattoos, especially if it's a Jesus tattoo. It's okay. Uh, and, and praise God, we can drink, apparently, at least in Europe. Um, <laughs> and more and more in other countries as well. Uh, but we still have the rules, right? You got to go to church. You got to give so much money. You got to read your Bible so much. You got to pray. Uh, you got to do all this stuff, right? Uh, and the ultimate, you know, if you, if you want to be the ultimate good person, the ultimate person under the system of the law, you give up a really good job and you sacrifice everything to move to a foreign country and be a missionary, right? Doesn't get any better than that, right? And if you do all that stuff, if you keep all those rules, God owes you, right? Because you've done your part and now He has to bless you. And how many Christians, how many diligent people trying to live under the law, how many missionaries and servants and pastors make sacrifices, move to a foreign country where it's difficult, where life is hard, and they make these sacrifices for God and they do all the right things, and God just doesn't bless them. Right? They have marriage problems. They have financial problems. Uh, their kids get sick or maybe their children die. And what do pe- how do people respond to that? They get angry. Right? God, what are you doing to me? I kept my side of the deal. I kept the laws. I kept the rules. And you are not blessing me. And they get angry at God. And they feel like they've been shortchanged and cheated by God. Right? The problem is not God. The problem is they are living under the old system of the law. Right? They think they deserve God's blessing. They don't. Right? Uh, we've got to be really careful. And Paul says clearly... We are no longer under the old system of the law. We are under grace. Right? We live by grace. The gospel is true for us every single day of our life. Every single day of our life, we need the power of the cross because the truth is we do not ever deserve God's blessing or goodness. Right? Well, how are we released from this old system? Uh, well, there's only one way out, and the way out is death. And Paul says this. He says, For a, man, a married woman is bound to the law uh, uh, by law to her husband while he lives. And he's making a general illustration here. He's not trying to talk about marriage or divorce. Uh, he's just talking about a general illustration of how law works. And so he picks the law of marriage. And he says, uh, She's bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. For example, uh, she will be called an adulteress if she marries another man while her husband is alive. So that's how marriage works. You get married, you get this piece of paper, you you, you get it witnessed in front of God and the church, 
And uh, you are legally bound to that one person, if you're a woman to that one guy, right? Now, if you go out and get tired of living with that one guy and you, you ditch him and you go marry another guy, right? Uh, at every level, it's illegal, right? Even socially, right? Now, of course, nowadays you can get a divorce, which would make it free socially for you to marry another person. That's the law of marriage. And it's important. A lot of people want to use this passage to justify or to attack people who are divorced or remarried or whatever. Paul's not talking about that here. He's just using this as an example, as an illustration of how we get out from underneath a law. right? So if you're in a really bad marriage, in Paul's day especially, and you want out, uh, you pray that your husband dies. okay, And then you're out. You're free, right? And that uh, you can marry somebody else because the law or the obligation of, of marriage is broken, right? Well, he uses that as an illustration. Then he goes on to say, Likewise, brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Uh, again, we talked about this in Romans 6. I'm not going to talk a lot, but somehow God made it that we participate with Jesus in his death on the cross. I don't know how. Uh, the, the actual wording there is not that we died, but it's actually that we were made dead. It's passive. God did this. Somehow God took our life and somehow took that life and put it with Christ and somehow through that partnership and participation, we experienced his death. And we didn't die personally, but we experienced his death on the cross. And in that death, we died to the obligation of law. Right? We're no longer bound. We are set free and released from law, from that system. From that system of gaining God's approval and blessing through my performance. It's done. right? And it's done in a couple of ways. Because of the cross, because of what... Uh, what Jesus did. Uh, the law was fulfilled in Christ, right? It's not that the law is not important, but Christ perfectly fulfilled the law in himself and attributed that to us, right? So we fulfill the law in Christ, not on our own. But more importantly than that, what the cross does for us is it puts us under grace. God now has the right to cancel all the debt of sin, and so we're under grace. And grace literally means uh, God's favor toward us, right? We are living continually under God's favor. What can you do to earn or gain more of God's favor? Nothing, right? Nothing. Okay, God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. His son whom he dearly loved. Sent him to die for you. What could you possibly do to add to that to make it more? Nothing, right? Nothing. God loves us infinitely. And there's absolutely nothing we could ever do to gain more of God's love or blessing in our life. His blessing comes because of His own good character, His own promise, and through what He has done and accomplished through Christ on the cross, right? So part of the reason lies of no effect anymore is because there's nothing we could ever do that would change our status with God. We could try to keep the law perfectly, but it would never upgrade the blessing we're already getting. Because the blessing comes by grace, through His favor and kindness, not through my effort. Right? Um, 
so going back to sum this up to apply it real quick. The context of all this is sanctification. And uh, we are not under rules, okay? And, and the language in this is quite strong. He says, you are released... You are released from the law. You are under absolutely no obligation to it, right? To, the, to this moral law. Okay, and again, I'm talking about the law system that says if I do these things, I get God's favor. It says it's done. No more ever, all right? Um, but the context of this whole passage of sanctification is living a, sinless, a more sinless life, of being set free from the bondage of sin and death. So... Uh, how do we do that? Uh, if we're not under rules, uh, how do we gain sanctification? Well, it's interesting. Paul makes it clear that that the law actually works against this, right? So, so here's a here's a principle. It, the law is not just an optional thing. Like, well, you know, for other people they can live without the law, but I know myself, and I need those rules, right? So I need the rules because it will make me a better Christian. Paul says no. It doesn't work that way. You cannot come to true sanctification by the law. It works against you. He says, uh, let me read it again, verse 4. Um, listen when he says, Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another in order that we may bear fruit to God. What he's saying there is, look, living by the law, living under it, you cannot live to the glory of God and bear fruit for Him. You cannot be in true relationship with Christ if you're living under rules in the law. You, it's not an optional thing. You've got to get out from underneath this mentality that I'm going to live in some way to earn or merit God's approval. It's an enemy of your walk of faith with Christ. Right? No more rules. Uh, in, in your relationship with God, no rules. Okay. Well, what do we do then? <laughs> it's like, well, okay, that sounds good, but, you know... Uh, does that mean we can just do anything? Well, Paul's already talked about it. He says, no, you can't, right? So then how do we live? Well, he gives three simple instructions. Uh, let me read again, verses 4 through 6. Uh, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, number one, to him who was raised from the dead. Number two, in order that we may bear fruit to God, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. As long as you live under the law, the fruit you produce is death. Uh, but now we are released from that law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve, number three, we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Real quickly, three things. We belong to Christ. Uh, the law, we died to the law so that we could have a new kind of relationship with Christ. Um, a relationship based on grace. A relationship based on friendship. Okay, have you ever been in one of these friendships where there was a friendship with a ton of strings attached? Remember that kind of friendship? It's like, you know, they invite you over, but you know you must invite them over, right? They give you a gift, but you must respond, you must reciprocate, and the gift must be at least as good or better, right? You've been in that kind of friendship, and you go, really, this is not a friendship. Okay, this is kind of a drag, right? Because it's not spontaneous, it's not personal, it's not intimate, right? It's like we're playing checkers or something, you're ping pong back and forth, you know. Um, true friendship works this way. 
It's like, you know, I like that person and I just want to spend time with them. I like who they are. I like, you know, that we can communicate and share ideas and we stimulate each other, right? Uh, we enjoy our company. That's, that's relationship. And, and Paul says we've been set free from the law so that we would no longer be governed by rules, but we would walk in relationship, close, deep, intimate, personal relationship with God, with Christ. Right? So what it means is this. Instead of focusing on what rules I'm supposed to be keeping or not keeping, we should be focusing on relationship with Christ. The bulk of our energy and attention and effort needs to be in building deeper relationship with Christ. He died for us so that we could be with Him. And he specifically uses the phrase, the one who, who rose again. In other words, Jesus is like a new husband who's never going to die. Right? It will never end because our bonds of relationship with Him will go on forever. So first thing in sanctification, we should focus not on rules, but on relationship with Christ. Deepening our walk with Christ continually. Uh, If we are walking in sin, if we are struggling with sin, the problem is not that we need more rules, it's that we need more relationship with Christ. We need to drink in more of His person and His being. We need to be walking in deeper communion and fellowship with Him. When I see people who are walking into sin, I know there are people who are not walking with Christ. That simple. Second thing. Um, uh, we bear fruit to God. Uh, literally, it says that we are, are made dead to Christ, dead to the law, died with Christ, in order that you might bear fruit. Um, the truth, though, is that you don't bear the fruit. Right? Where does the fruit come from? Well, Paul says in other places it comes by the work of the Spirit, and he talks about that in just a minute. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, bearing fruit is not a work of law either. It is a work that God does in us. If you bear any fruit for God in terms of your character, in terms of your thoughts, in terms of your actions, true eternal fruit will come because God has produced that thing in you. Right? It's not something you do. And in fact, as when you're trying to do it, apart from His power and strength and enabling, because I'm going to keep the rules, because I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to save the world for Jesus, it will fail. It will fail. Right? The only way we can ever produce true fruit in our life is by opening up our heart and letting the Holy Spirit fill us and empower us with Himself so that He produces in us that character and those thoughts and those actions that produce fruit for His glory and His kingdom. Lastly, um, we live by the Spirit. Right? We don't do this in our own strength. And later, Paul's going to talk about this, so I won't talk about it much. But um, we fight the battle by doing nothing, in a sense, uh, and letting the Holy Spirit take over. Right? If you're dealing with sin, if you're dealing with temptation... Uh, if you're saying to yourself, "I can beat this," I just gotta, it's gonna be tough. I gotta gear up for this. You know, I know I can do this, and you're setting yourself up for failure. Right? Uh, what we need to be saying is, "I can't do this. I am in my flesh weak. I am in my own self unable to do this. Uh, but I don't live in the old letter of the law anymore." I now live in the new way, the new kind of life by the power, powerful filling of the Holy Spirit. 
I get that power through relationship. Right? I get that power by walking with Jesus. And He fills me with His Spirit. And then He produces fruit. John said in, Jesus said in John 15, You abide in Me, and I abide in you, and fruit just comes. I will produce in you an abundant fruit and much more fruit. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.